What's up, guys, and welcome to the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. I'm your host, Sam Orlick. Hey, guys, we've got a very special episode today. David Williams from the Grizzlies cast, the sports ethos team covering the Memphis Grizzlies, is going to be joining me to talk about kind of a retrospective on the Memphis Warriors series from the Grizzlies perspective, talking about um, some ups and downs, kind of get the uh, other side of the coin per se, and then a look ahead at the Western Conference Finals matchup between the Dallas Mavericks and Golden State Warriors. So very special episode today. Without any further ado, let's get right into it. Hey, David. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. Awesome. Um, thanks for uh, taking the time. Appreciate uh, being able to sync up here. No, you bet, man. I always enjoy coming on. I, I like talking basketball, whether it's Grizzlies or whatever. So looking forward to it. Nice. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's good to have some reinforcements back at home. Um, I know you uh, you mentioned you were on dad duty. Um, don't have kids, but two puppies, uh, three-month-old and, and almost a two-year-old. So I had my hands full over the last week. My wife was out of town, so it's nice to uh, get some help and uh, be able to throw on my headset and close the door for a little bit and talk some hoops and uh, get some stuff done. If I had the choice, I would rather deal with a toddler than, than puppies. I, I, love, <laughs> I love dogs, but the, the new puppy stage, the chewing and peeing and pooping on everything, I'm like, mm, yeah, I can do without that. It's tough, man. Yeah, I know. I, I try not to. I had some friends who recently had uh, newborns and, you know, nothing's like the same apples to apples, but the new puppy is like ready to roll. It's it's running around on day one, you know, and yeah. It's uh, it's hard to hard to manage them for sure. Different different challenges than a newborn or toddler. Uh, yeah. But then but then it changes quickly because after a few years the dog kind of settles into their role and kind of mellows out and then that's when that's when you really got to start ramping up. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure. Anyways, man, let's talk some hoops. Um, quite quite the series between the Warriors and the Grizzlies. Um, you know, obviously, I'm sure from your end, you would have liked a different end result. A lot of question marks as far as what could have been, you know, injuries on both sides. Obviously, John Morant, um, brutal injury. The uh, was the official diagnosis of bone bruise in his right yeah. knee. Yeah, yeah bone, bone bruise. bruise just... They had the uh, at the postseason press conference and they confirmed like MRIs, they looked at it. It's just something that's going to have to heal. No surgery, no type of ligament damage or anything like that, but it just takes time. And I know Ja had mentioned, you know, it's going to be tough for him because, you know, he grew up basketball was his life. Basketball is his life and being able to shut it down and not really have anything to do with basketball until that thing heals is going to be hard for him. 
Yeah. Do they have a, a sense of time, like how long that will take? How long until he can resume basketball activities? Nah, man, the, the Grizzlies are always very hush whenever it comes to stuff like that. Like they, before the season started, uh, Zach Kleiman told uh, all the media members uh, that Dylan Brooks, his hand was no big deal. He'd be ready to go start of the season. Good to go. And then Dylan Brooks missed like the first month of the season. And we're like, thought he was good to go. What, you know, what's going on. And then you go back to the Jaron Jackson knee injury and he, you know, he ends up missing the majority of the year. And that was something, you know, we were told before the season that it would not be that long. And then, you know, it ended up taking forever. So no timetable. They did say, you know, he he would be back in a hundred percent by the start of next season, but you know, I mean that that's as loose Take it as with you a can grain be. of salt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That sucks, man. It, there's definitely in today's NBA, there's there's a few franchises who are just, yeah, they they'd rather not give out any information they don't have to. Warriors kind of borderline with that. They aren't. I don't think they're quite as bad as the Grizzlies. But for example, um, you know, Gary Payton, I think it's expected he's going to miss like at least six weeks. But the Warriors aren't even officially ruling him out of potentially returning in this Western Conference final series, um, which just seems bizarre. And then uh, Iguada is going to get reevaluated on Thursday, but he continues to miss time with neck spasms. So definitely challenging. I know the Toronto Raptors are up there as well, as far as having incredibly frustrating um, injury reports and and lack of concise information. But um, that is the NBA today, I guess, you know, teams decide that, that giving out the information is, um, not in their benefit. Yeah. I feel like it's just, um, chess, you know, like these guys, anybody that makes it to this level of basketball is one of the best players in the world. And so to make it to this level, you look for any type of competitive advantage that you can get and whether withholding that information really gives you any type of advantage, especially going into the off season, like what, what's it going to, What's it going to do for the Grizzlies going into the all season? You know, not being completely transparent with the injury, there there's no benefit from it. But I I feel like in their minds that that gives them a competitive advantage, not giving you the full story. Right. Yeah, because if your teammates have judged, like, all right, are we going to be able to play with them over the summer? Can we do workouts? Like. Yeah, and you know, I'll tell you just from the the amount of time that Jaw's been in Memphis and. I don't know him on a personal level, so I, you know, it's not like that. But just his mindset and the way that he approaches it, they're pretty much going to have to chain him down to keep him away from a basketball because he he wants to be there. He even mentioned um, coming back and trying to play if the series had been extended to to Game Seven, that he was going to do everything that he could to see about getting back out there. Yeah, yes, I remember seeing that. Um seeing that on on Twitter, try and gut it out. Um, Well, definitely, I think for for your franchise, uh, incredibly bright future. You've got a lot of really talented young pieces, um, some quality veterans. Uh, I was I was very impressed with uh, Taylor Jenkins and the the Grizzlies coaching staff being able to kind of pivot strategically after game three with Morant going down and getting Steven Adams back. Um, inserting Adams into the starting lineup and, and just kind of changing the style to kind of more focused on uh, fighting in the paint, more emphasis on defense. You guys really gave the Warriors 
a lot of trouble trying to trying to score, put up points, turn, get racking up all those turnovers. Um, you know, and that's not easy to do in the middle of a series with different personnel. But you know, I feel like you guys, that's kind of been your calling card through the regular season was one guy goes down next man up and you guys flourished at that. Um, and that really showed in, uh, in this series. Yeah. Yeah. It really, you know, all year long, you know, John missed 25 games during the regular season, but outside of that, there were other guys, whether it be COVID or you know, Dylan Brooks with the hand injury, um, d- just saw guys not, you know, the, Coach Jenkins always talks about play groups and he talks about, you know, like putting these guys against each other, having competition in practice. And he does that to try and keep everybody ready. And it worked out well, you know, just in a playoff series, the caliber of basketball is different. And so, you know, a lot of these guys are ready and they can go out there and they compete at the, you know, at the highest level during the regular season, it's just not the same. You know, the the games mean more. A guy like John Conchar, for example, he was good for the Grizzlies this year. He was a great regular season player. But when they put him in in the playoffs, he got ran off the floor. His plus minus was terrible because he's just – he's a great end-of-the-bench guy, but he's not a playoff rotation guy. And so that's – you know, the, the depth is good but your depth is only truly as deep as the guys that you can play in a playoff series and them still play in, in, you know, high impact winning basketball. And, you know, unfortunately in this series, it just, it just didn't happen. They, they didn't have it. It was, you know, missing John Moran is huge. I think that the Grizzlies still matched up really well against the Warriors and they had a good shot to, to win, but, they had to have almost everything go right. And one thing that the Warriors done in this series, they more than one thing, right? Obviously, but one big thing that the Warriors done in this series was um, they, they limited the paint scoring, you know, was scoring in the paint. That was the bread and butter for the Grizzlies all year long. Even when John Morant was out and golden state outscored the Grizzlies by 28 points in the paint throughout this series. And so heading into the series, you would think, well, the Grizzlies are going to have the matchup. They're going to have the, you know, be favored in the paint. That That's a strength for them. But, you know, um, Mike Brown done a heck of a job, you know, scheming up the defense, getting them ready to prevent the Grizzlies from attacking the paint like they do. And, and it paid off well. You know, that's what uh, I was looking through the stats before we came on here. The team that won second chance points in the series, whichever team had more second chance points in the game, won the game. So in the four games that Golden State won, they outscored the Grizzlies in second chance points. And the two games that the Grizzlies won, they outscored the Warriors. So that that was, you know, a, a point of emphasis. Tough series, you know, Clay and and Curry and Draymond, those guys had all been there before. Steve Curry had been there before. And this the Grizzlies team is young, but the coaching staff is young as well. So there's still a lot to learn. But like you say, bright future. They, they learned a lot this year, saw a lot of growth from our rookie, Zaire Williams. When he first started the beginning of the year, he was awful. Like, he was one of the worst rotation players in the league. And then he suffered an injury, and he sat on the bench for a few weeks and watched, and he came back and was like a completely different player. So it, it was great to see the growth from him, great to see him be out there making winning plays, even in a playoff series against, a, you know, a championship-caliber team. Yeah, one more thing I wanted to add to, I think, what was the key stat in determining outcome was rebounds as well. Yeah. I believe 
the only game that Memphis up rebounded the Warriors was the blowout loss in Memphis or the blowout loss for the Warriors blowout win for Memphis uh, in Memphis. And then if you exclude uh, game two, where I believe the Warriors out rebounded the Grizzlies, but um, you guys won the game. Um, I, that was a big, a big factor for me too. And I think, uh, you know, had you had Steven Adams ready to roll for game one, that would have been interesting to see. But I also, aside from all of that, I also feel like with John Morant going down, your defense improved drastically. Um, there were no gaps. There were no matchups to hunt. It, it became incredibly difficult for the Warriors to score. And so much so that they began pressing to the point of just committing a lot of uh making a lot of poor decisions as far as, you know, throwing the ball away, trying to get transition looks or trying to make cross court passes that were just getting picked off. And, and Memphis really keyed in and, and by the end of the series knew all the sets that the Warriors were running. So there was no, you know, easy baskets that the bread and butter backdoor cuts or fake handoffs that just would result, typically result in easy, easy two points at the rim. Um, so that was interesting for me to see that, you know, your star player goes down, but your defense actually improves significantly and, and gives you a completely different look. But to your point earlier, you know, Memphis being incredibly young and coaching staff being incredibly young, I think there were just two or three games where it just came down to like second half of the fourth quarter execution, right? Where it's like yeah, with yeah, game, sure. within a, game within a few points, six minutes left, who's going to execute down the stretch and uh, hard to uh, hard to win against one of the most experienced uh, playoff cores uh, currently active in the league right now. Yeah. You know, you, you get in, get into the series and, and you look at these games and you can point to a player. You can point to, I know a lot of Grizzlies fans, Dylan Brooks becomes a scapegoat a lot of times because his shot selection is garbage. And at certain points, he is a very streaky player and so if he gets a couple shots to, to go down, you will see him jacking up shots early in the shot clock. And I don't know where the line is with that for the coaching staff. I don't know if it's it's fear of making his confidence waver or fear of the re reaction that they get from him. But nobody reins him in. And that is something the the Grizzlies fans, a lot of Grizzlies fans were really – you know, hard on Dylan. Well, if Dylan hadn't done this or if Dylan hadn't done that, and then they didn't want to point at the fact that Taylor Jenkins could have pulled him out of the game at any time. And yeah, Dylan Brooks is the best perimeter defender for this team, but you also have DeAnthony Melton, who is he struggled. He he was unplayable in the Timberwolves series, but he played well in this series, and he is pretty close to Dylan whenever it comes to, you know, playing defense on the, on the perimeter. So, you know, there, there was one game specifically where the Grizzlies didn't, I think it was game four. Man, I can't remember. It's all running together now, but there was one game where late in the game, the Grizzlies, was it game four when the Grizzlies had to lead the whole game until the last 48 seconds or was that game five? That was game four, yeah. Four, yeah. Game five was the blowout win in Memphis. And so at the end of that game, the Grizzlies needed to just not beat themselves. And that's that's what happened. You know, the, the Warriors were executing. They were doing what they needed to do. But I feel like if Coach Jenkins had real Dylan in, if he had pulled him and put Melton out there, Melton's not going to go out there 
and get you beat, he's not going to make the same type of plays that Dylan Brooks is going to make. And so I think if he had made that change there, then maybe you see a different outcome. And that there's always going to be what ifs that, you know, if if this doesn't happen or if that doesn't happen, where's it going to go? But a lot of times as fans, we get tunnel vision on a player doing something or, or missing something, not being good in this area or that area. And we try to blame it on one player. And there's always more than one thing that contributes to a loss. Yeah, hundred percent. And maybe that's part of just the growing pains of, of transitioning from uh, a young, good team to being a um, team with championship aspirations is the coaching staff looking at film with Dylan after the season and saying, Hey, you want, you want to help take your team to the next level, continue to fight and play hard and set the tone with your intensity and defense. And then at the same time, you need to fix your shot selection, especially down the stretch. Um, Cause I agree with that. But there were a few times where he just Dylan Brooks, like step back three late in the game. And it's like, thank you very much. Um, certainly yeah. though, in, in game yeah. six, you know, he had 30 points. He, he was, he was a big force offensively. Now he was a volume shooter, but you guys needed all those points. So without, without Moran out there, somebody has got to score. And, and I do agree. I was kind of thinking to myself, cause I had selected uh, DeAnthony Melton and a couple of my fantasy teams, you know, Dylan Brooks missing that time at the beginning of the season, like you mentioned. So I'd been a big Melton fan and was surprised to see that, you know, he, he wasn't on the floor at times because he did have, some pretty good success. You know, he's long. He's got a lot of length defensively. He he had a couple highlight blocks against the Warriors, um, played really well against them in the regular season, can hit the open three. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's hard. I think that's just, it, that's hard to do, but that's kind of what you got to get your players to buy into if you want to be great, you know, and that's like the the transition Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr Warriors and, and first thing Steve Kerr does is sit down with Andre Wadal and says hey man you need to come off the bench and that's what really set the tone for the culture of that of this franchise as far as making sacrifices and team first mentality um, was Iguodala accepting um, a bench role and allowing Harrison Barnes to start. Um, so I, I've got a question for you in, in relation to that. Go for it. When, when we're talking about this, and, and I've had this same conversation, you know, starter, bench player, I've had the same conversation a number of times. Do you really feel like it makes that much difference to have the moniker of starter? Because when the, when the Warriors were winning those championships, Iguodala is coming off of the bench, but he was in that closing lineup. And to me, being out there in the fourth quarter – you know, the last five, six, seven minutes of the game to close the game is far more important than actually having that title of being a starter. Do you feel like that is, you know, is there any weight to that? Do you feel like the, the starter moniker really holds that much weight that the players should look at it that much? I think both things are true. I think first and foremost, it doesn't matter who starts, it matters who closes. But if you're a young team who hasn't established yourselves um, as being a good team and being competitive and having um, kind of deep postseason aspirations and you're and you're kind of a veteran you've been around the block you've been a starter your whole career you want to start because that's you know there's pride associated to that but at the point that you're coming together with a common goal 
um, and willing to make sacrifices for the team, yeah, I think it is more important who finishes and closes the game than who starts the game. But even for myself personally as a player, and you know, I didn't play in college, just really talking about like high school and, and pickup or whatever and recreational leagues. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of, of pride associated with kind of who starts and who doesn't. Um, but yeah, I'd much rather be in the closing lineups than, than in the starting lineup and not, and not out there to close the game. Yeah. Same, same for me. I, you know, if, if I'm starting great, fantastic, I'm going to go, I'm going to go out there and give them my all regardless. But if you give me a choice of, you know, playing 30 minutes a game as a starter and not closing or playing 28 minutes as a bench player. And I'm in that closing lineup, I'm taking the bench role a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. It's a character thing too. Cause I mean, at the time, Iguodala is getting paid a handsome sum. So it's like, hey, man, you're paying me whatever, you know, 15 to 18 million a year to, to come off the bench. Are you sure about that? So, uh, I mean, in the end, he did it. But I do think that not not everyone's willing to do that. Um, so not everyone, not all players in the NBA are, are the same, um, sure. with the same character and mentality. I think that's one thing that the Warriors have done a good job of is going out there and finding high character guys who are willing to put in the work and make sacrifices and, and don't really have that uh, me first mentality. Yeah. You got to see a lot of um, positives from young guys when you know, talk about the, the high character guys, Jordan Poole, uh, Jonathan Kamiga were guys that were playing rotation minutes for the Warriors. And then you have uh, James Wiseman who hadn't really, you, you've not got to see a whole lot of him because of injury, but you know, as, as the guard changes as, as Steph and Clay and Draymond age and you know, it's, not that the the championship window is, is closing. I think they still got at least a couple more years of, of good basketball left in them. I think that the Warriors are in pretty good shape with the guys that they have because when Otto Porter went down, I was shocked that we didn't see Moses Moody any. I, I don't I, – I couldn't wrap my mind around why they – the Warriors – and I don't follow the Warriors as close as you do, so maybe you can shine some light on that for me. But what, why were the Warriors still running out? You know, guys like uh, JTA and and um, Lee. I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know his first name. I apologize. Yeah, Damian Lee. Yeah. So Steve Kerr is old school where you got to earn his trust. And Moses Moody, I think, I, I really like him as a rookie, but he he's behind, he's behind Lee in the depth chart. He hadn't proven himself. Um, he did come in for a stretch in that blowout loss in Memphis and played well in that fourth quarter. He knocked down a bunch of shots. Um, Looks pretty good in that stretch, but Damian Lee, you know exactly when you're going to get from him. He fights really hard on defense. He fights for rebounds. Um, He can score. Now, you know, I know there's a lot of Warriors people on Twitter who get really upset every time Steve Kerr puts Damian Lee in there, but Lee only played like 10 minutes. So he's really in there to eat some minutes, play hard and not make any mistakes. And he's a guy, that Kerr, Mike Brown can trust, you know exactly what you're going to get out of them. Um, same thing with Nemanja Bialica, you know, for all of his struggles uh, defensively, you know, this guy's a vet, he's been in the league a while, he knows what he can do, he knows his limitations. So you see those guys, you know, it's kind of next man up. And obviously there wasn't really a great replacement for Otto Porter, but, um, you know, Jonathan Kaminga has a tremendous upside but makes was making a lot of mistakes in this matchup against Memphis didn't really bode well for him you guys had great rim protection 
Um, I feel like you matched up pretty well with him and, and he kind of struggled and ended up being more of like a perimeter player instead of, a, instead of what he did for most of the regular season, which is like get his head down, get to the rim, draw fouls, hit free throws. And then defensively, he makes a lot of mistakes. He, uh, he goes for a lot of steals or he gets beat. He loses focus. So, um, but the, the, the thing that Steve Kerr has been really saying coming into the postseason is, you know, everyone should be ready. You never know when it, when your time will come. Every matchup's a little bit different. So I do think that, um, you know, as we transition to start talking a little bit about the next series, uh, Dallas Mavericks first game kicking off tomorrow, I do think Kaminga will get more opportunities there. I think the matchup is a little bit better in his favor as far as getting some court time. But yeah, Steve Kerr is more old school. He did that with Jordan Poole even um, in the regular season when uh clay thompson came back and steph and, and uh curry was in he, he brought pool off the bench and he, he didn't just give pool let him continue to start he didn't just run him out there for 35 minutes he you know he benched him at times and he really made him earn it and we really saw the benefit of pushing pool and making him you know really work hard on both sides of the floor to really understand what it's going to take to be successful at the highest level of basketball and, and deep in the postseason yeah, as much as Warriors fans were unhappy with Draymond getting tossed in that first game, I don't know that the Warriors win that game had he not get, got ejected. Because do you think Jordan Poole sees the type of minutes that he saw in that game if Draymond didn't get ejected? Because that's really like when Jay, when he went when he got ejected in game one, that's when Poole just kind of started to, to pour it on, had a massive game. There, I think it was like, Oh, I can pull it up. So I'm not quoting craziness. Yeah, th- 31 points, eight rebounds, and nine assists in that game. J- just huge for the Warriors and that the one point win. The, the Grizzlies had a great look at the end of the game. We've watched John ja Morant um, make those shots a number of different times as a Grizzly fan. So you know you're okay living and dying with the best player having his ball in hand in in his hand with a chance to win at the end of the game. But, you know, Jordan Poole knocked down five threes in that game. It was just massive, massive part of the, the Warriors winning game one in Memphis. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Um, you definitely got a lot of people motivated. Um, use that as an opportunity and motivation to come together when, you know, you feel like your guy gets thrown out. Um, yeah, who knows? Who knows if he would have, if you know, how that would have gone, how that would have gone down. Certainly also was was reassuring to the group that they were still able to win, um, you know, if if even just barely sneak by uh, without Draymond, too. So that gave the team a lot of confidence. How did you feel? I had a question for you. How did you feel about Jaron Jackson Jr. throughout this series, um, you know, maybe with Ja and without Ja? So heading into this series, um, on, on our show, we were talking about the matchup and how we like this matchup for the Grizzlies. And people were coming at us pretty hard. They're like, why, why do you like this matchup so much? And it wasn't necessarily that we thought the Grizzlies would come into this series and just steamroll the Warriors. We knew that that was not going to happen. But the Warriors are not like the, that Timberwolves series was very physical. Carl Anthony Towns, Jade McDaniels, Jared Vanderbilt, Anthony Edwards, the length and the size that that team had is very difficult. That's a tough matchup for the Grizzlies as to where the Golden State Warriors turn the ball over. They're not as physical. 
they don't protect the paint as well as it you know, turns out they do. They do a little bit better job, but um, you know, like heading into the series, we felt like the Grizzlies had a lot of advantages. They can play more of their style of basketball as opposed to playing the way that the Timberwolves played. So we were pretty excited about this matchup and this is kind of a measuring stick, right? Second youngest team in the league and you're going up against, you know, uh, guys that have won multiple championships. So you really get to see where you stand and Jaron Jackson um, going into the series. That's a guy that we mentioned as being a key factor in this series because Golden State just doesn't really have anybody to match up to him defensively. He should be able to theoretically get wherever he wants to get and do what he needs to do on the offensive end. And later in the series, Jaron figured out that he could really go in to attack mode and he could do the things. He had a great game one. You know, you saw his – I can pull it up here. 33-point game one. You know, yet uh, combined 67 points from John Jaron in game one. But Jaron kind of got away from some stuff at different points during the series. I was happy with the way that he played in this series. You saw a lot of good things. Um, there had been questions about whether John Morant and Jaron can play well together. Like, can they both have a big game at the same time? And that game one answered that question. So I want to see him work on a few things. The Timberwolves exposed him in that series because – he would have the same offensive move. They knew what he was doing, and they drew a lot of, of cheap fouls on him because he would just turn into them and they would be set, so he's picking up the charge. And Golden State didn't have anybody doing that, so he was able to be a little more effective. Jaron's key is just staying on the floor. The, I, I don't think that he's a guy that the Grizzlies have to have like a, a 20, 25-point scoring. They don't need that much from him. They need him to be on the floor because of how effective he is defensively. This defense is like 10 points worse whenever he's off the floor. So it, it's a massive drop. And I think that overall he played well. There were some things that I would like to see him do differently, but I, I'm not one that's just going to beat him down. A lot of people, you know, there was a guy on the radio here in Memphis saying that they wanted to trade Jaron Jackson for Bobby Portis. And I oh, <laughs> I'm a, the, the radio guy just let him keep going. I'm like, just hang up on him, man. Stop. <laughs> like, don't give this dude any more rope. Just, just stop it. So, you know, it, it's crazy how fast some fans will roll over on certain players. But I, I was really happy when Jaron realized that he could he could attack, he could get to where he needs where he wants to go. He was playing with a little more force. He was, you know, attacking the basket a little bit more. And I like it. I like when he does that. I'm not uh, I'm not one that's like, oh, he's seven foot. He needs to play back to the basket because that's not today's NBA. But when you have a mismatch, when you have a guy that's four or five inches shorter than you trying to guard you and you have the advantage down there, take advantage of it. And I think that he was able to do that late in the series. Yeah, and I think, you know, he's still incredibly young, you know, first first time making it. Uh, to the conference semifinals. So, you know, it, Warriors went through the same thing. They, you know, they lost in the first round and next year they lost in the second round. And then it took a, a coaching staff change to then um, be the year that, you know, third time's the charm that they were able to win it all. And people still put a lot of asterisks next to that year because you had like Mike Conley go to, you know, there were like multiple things in every round that had to go right that, you know, helped contribute to their success so i think you know to your point you can't 
you can't throw a guy under the bus because he's still learning on the job. He's still incredibly young and he's got so much upside. So yeah, I feel like late game scenario, that's kind of the next level for him to kind of figure out how he can be effective when, um, you know, referees are calling the game a little bit differently so he can stay on the floor and not get into foul trouble, not draw, not draw charges, um, know when to, to settle for the three versus take it inside. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, he, he, tremendous early series striping all those three balls and then he was a force uh definitely in the paint once he figured all that out so yeah i agree with what you had to say there looking ahead to the warriors and dallas matchup which kicks off tomorrow i wanted to get your thoughts on that and uh see what your take is well i I think it's going to be an interesting series mostly because I like Andrew Wiggins trying to guard Luca. I think that in the previous series, there was, I won't say, so Mikael Bridges, in theory, should have been the guy that could, you know, kind of hang with Luca. But Mikael is not a very, he's not a big guy, doesn't have a lot of muscle on him. And, and Wiggins is just bigger physically. So I think that that is going to be interesting. But, one defender, regardless of what you're throwing at Luca, one defender is not going to stop him. So it's going to come down to defensive schemes and, and what the Warriors are going to be able to do to figure out a way to slow him down. And I think that he he is a guy that's going to get his. Like, he's going to go out there. I think he's probably going to average, like, 25, 8, and 8 in this series. But you have to make it hard on him. You've got to make him earn it. And then in, in clutch time, I think that denying him the ball, like picking him up 94 feet and making somebody else, like make them work to get him in the get him the ball in the half court setting, is going to be key. Um, the you talked about Kaminga and being able to get downhill, and the the Mavericks don't really have after that trade they don't have a rim protector, and so you know Dwight Powell does a good job. He, he's a switchable big. But he's just he's not not a rim rim protector. Max, I think Kleba is probably the best rim protector on that team. And that's not saying a whole lot, not to take that much away from him, but he's not a guy that that puts fear in your eyes. Right. So he's the, more the, of a four playing the five playing up at the five. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the Warriors were able to score well in the paint against the Grizzlies. I think they'll be able to do that again in this series. Um it's I would expect this series to probably go seven games, honestly. Um, you know, it just kind of the, the matchup. I think that you will have a game where Luca just kind of goes crazy, kind of like he did, you know, the the game closing game against the Suns. I think you'll have a game where that just happens. Um, but I think it's going to be a battle. I, I don't think that either team is better versed. Like, I, I don't think matchup wise that this is a, a massive advantage one way or the other. Yeah, I do think for the Warriors, they'll just be glad that they're not playing the Grizzlies anymore. You know, Dallas had one of the uh, stronger defenses in the league after the All-Star break, but they don't force nearly as many turnovers as Memphis does. They don't quite have the same personnel either to match up with Warriors the same. Like, sure, they Mm -hmm. have Reggie Bullock. They've got... um, uh, Dory Finney and Smith, uh, Kleba, like you mentioned. So they've definitely got options. You know, Luca's Luca's not the worst defender either in his own right, but he hasn't really proven to be elite 
either. So I think the Warriors are going to be happy to not going up against a team and, and hopefully just the mentality shift of like, we're not going to turn the ball over 20 times. Um, so I think they're going to have trouble trying to beat anyone, um, you know, in the Western Conference finals and hopefully in the finals if they're if they're turning it over that many times. And then Dallas plays a lot slower too. Uh, so I think it's going to kind of be a little bit similar to the Denver series where, like you said, you make it, you try and make it really hard on Luca, but he's going to get his, right? You're not going to hold him under 20 points unless he has some, um, some really poor shooting nights. He's probably going to have a few games where he just really goes off. You try not to give him, you know, free trips to the free throw line and then limit everyone else. Don't let Brunson get 30. Don't let Dimdwitty get 30. Um, make Luca work really hard for every bucket. And then you just hope that down the stretch, he just doesn't have enough gas to finish and then make him work defensively as well. So, and then also I think for the Warriors, like you had Poole, Clay, and Curry all shooting, you know, sub their career averages from the three from the three point line. Again, credit to the Memphis defense. So I think that we'll see a return to the regression for the Warriors as far as prolific three point shooting. Um, and I think the Warriors play small better than Dallas plays small too. Um, so I think that definitely plays into the Warriors' hands that that Dallas has you know, kind of tweener forward bigs, just like the Warriors. Draymond Green, Kevon Looney are more than capable in the front court um, up against Dwight Powell and Kleba and Finney Smith. Um, and you got a bunch of different guys that you can potentially put on Luka at times or in a switch. You know, Draymond could defend him. Clay could defend him. You know, Wiggins, like you mentioned, maybe a little bit of Kaminga at times. So, um, but no, I, I don't think it's going to be easy for sure. I think, you know, six, seven games, makes sense. I think it's going to be really important for the Warriors to um, take care of business at home as the season kicks off. Like you definitely don't want to have kind of a wake up game one at home. So the, the pressure is going to kind of be on from the start. Otto Porter Jr. is still questionable. I don't know if he's going to be available for tomorrow. Uh, Andre Vidal, like I mentioned, is going to be reevaluated on Thursday. So he definitely won't be available for tomorrow's game. And then Gary Payton, the second, uh, you know, long shot that he'll return in the series, but still remains to be seen. And then obviously James Weissman out for the season. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think Nemanja Bielitsa potentially fits in better to this series as well, since they don't, since Dallas doesn't really play um, yeah. a traditional big other than Boban. If uh, you put out Bielitsa out there to stretch the floor. I think defensively, just when, when he was on the floor against the Grizzlies, if, if it was Adams out there, Okay, no big deal. But if the Grizzlies were running the running with Jaron at the five, then you have a guy like Brandon Clark that you have to try and match him up against. And he just doesn't he's not that type of defender. He's not gonna be able to handle the athleticism that Brandon Clark brings to the floor. And he, he's not defensively gonna be able to do anything against Jaron. And Dallas doesn't have that type of big. They don't have, you know, you know, Powell is a guy that, you know, he can be you may see a 20 and 10 game from him, but it's going to be because he's cleaning up the glass. Like he's getting those second chance points. It's not going to be because he just turns dominant and, you know, takes over a game and Dorian Finney Smith, great defender, great role player, but he, you know, your offense is not coming from those guys. So that, that works out well. Otto Porter was huge. I think in the, um, in the Grizzlies series, when he was on the floor, the Warriors were plus 45. So you know, yeah, he I had think, the highest plus minus for the Warriors yeah. in that series. So so him coming back is going to be huge. He, he's another, you know, uh, 
just high basket, high basketball IQ. He can shoot the ball very well. Uh, believe it or not, he actually Otto Porter Jr. is from pretty close to my own town. He lives. Uh, he p- played high school basketball about 11 miles north of my hometown. So I, I definitely was not rooting for him in the Grizzlies <laughs> series. But outside of that, I always wish him well because I like it when local people do well. So yeah, ho- hopefully he gets to come back and he's healthy because I think that'll make a huge impact for the Warriors. But yeah defensively I think Dallas is going to struggle because you know the Grizzlies had a number of different wings that were capable defenders for guys like Poole and, and Steph and Clay and Dallas just doesn't really have that they don't have the physical guy that's in the type of shape that can chase Steph Curry around all of those screens and play physical with him and you know I would say probably Bullock is their best wing defender would you agree or do you think it's somebody yeah. else no yeah, for so. sure it's Bullock yeah but then and, what do you do for Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole, right? Yeah, you have all yeah. three of those guys on the floor. So I, I think that's going to be crucial. You know, you talked about the, the the shooting from those three guys and the Grizzlies. They were 12% combined below what their season average was from three against the Grizzlies. Uh, Steph was five below. Clay was the smallest drop off at 2%. And then Poole was 5% below. And, and I think that they will get better looks in this series. But Jason Kidd and that coaching staff, they have done a phenomenal job getting everybody on this team to buy in. And I remember I was watching a game and Luca was talking smack to somebody and he's like, you guys are in trouble because I play defense now. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it's it's fun to watch as I remember growing up watching as, as stars got older and they were still really great at the game. And then you have these younger guys that are coming up that are going to, you know, like the, the changing of the guard type series. And I think that this the Memphis series with Golden State was one. And then this matchup with Dallas, with, with Luca being kind of a new face of the NBA, um, it, it's going to be a great series to watch. I can't wait. Uh, can't wait for it to, to kick off. Le- LeBron's favorite player, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it is, it's going to be very interesting – um, kind of the game within the game, Jason Jason Kidd versus Steve Kerr, uh, the chess match. Because like you said, you know, Dwight Powell, you know, isn't typically known for his offense, but could have a big game 20 and 10 cleaning up the glass. But he only played like 10 to 15 minutes a night, even as a starter in the Phoenix series. So uh, they seem to prefer to go small. Uh, but again, you know, every matchup is is different. So because we definitely had games in the regular season and not even just this season, but in seasons past where we've just been killed by Powell on the boards where he just out muscles everyone. Now a little bit different story in the playoffs. I don't think, you know, Draymond Green and Kevon Looney are going to get soft all of a sudden. Um, but Lo- Looney was ridiculous in game six against the Grizzlies. He, it's like he had a vacuum in his hand and like anytime the ball was coming off the rim, he was finding it. And so if, if you get that version of Looney in this series, that bodes well for Golden State for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, but it will be interesting to see, do they do that? How, you know, how much do they ride Powell or do they just bring in Kleba and go super small to just spread the floor? Cause Kleba is just shooting like 50% from three in his postseason run. He's like 27 for 52 or something, you know, something close to that. So just absolutely lights out shooting from three. I think Finney Smith is shooting like 40% from three. So it's going to come down to, going to come down to shooting. I do think that, that Dallas on paper, at least should have a a harder time matching up with the Warriors, but you never know. You know, I think, I think that the, 
the game changes. There's uh, there's a few different seasons within it within an NBA season, the regular season, the postseason, and then kind of like the final four is the next level. So just because something went a certain way in the regular season or in the first few rounds, I think, you know, conference finals and finals, just the whole game changes. It gets, it gets, the intensity goes up to a different level. Um, it brings out the best in everyone, um, you know, so guys can step up or, or not show up to the moment, you know, i.e. Booker and in, in the, in the Phoenix Suns. Um, yeah. Chris Paul in game seven is his entire career. Poor guy, man. Jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. I I don't think it's going to be easy for sure, but I think it's going to be, it's going to be a great matchup. It's going to be some fun basketball to watch on multiple levels. I'm hoping to see some Steph Curry breakout greatness. You know, he, I think he's going to be really happy to not see Dylan Brooks anymore trailing him, um, the whole game. And, uh, you know, if we get this version, if we get game six version of Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, I mean, Draymond Green was locked in, super aggressive, attacking the rim, just no hesitation. You know, at times, I think the Grizzlies played him really well when when Green wanted to just operate at the top where he just holds the ball at the top of the key and, and just Grizzlies were waiting to just read and pick off his passes. So if we get that version of Green, who's willing to take up space and um, attack the rim and, and put pressure on the defense if they're not going to play him straight up. I think that's going to be really important. Um, and then, yeah, I think, I think we may, I mean, it's possible we could see some Moses Moody. I doubt it, but I think that'll be more Jonathan Kaminga. So I think the matchups will be a little bit different as far as playing time goes. And then, yeah, the status of, of Otto Porter Jr. is going to be, is going to be critical. I mean, we're talking about all these forwards and wings on the Dallas side. So getting Porter Jr. back and available, uh, he has been the, one of the Warriors' most consistent veterans um, coming off the bench or in the starting lineup, for that matter. Man, it's been fun. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, always love talking hoops. Um, be excited to see your Memphis Grizzlies next season. Uh, you got anyone, like, you think you're going to bring back the whole squad or you think there's going to be some no. some personnel changes? There's definitely going to be some changes. The The one person that I am concerned with the most is Tyus Jones. Um, you know, he, he said he, he wants to go so somewhere good. and be – he wants to go somewhere to be a starter. And, and I think that he is – he's capable of doing that in the right situation. I, I don't know where that would happen for him. There are a couple places in, that I have in mind that he could go and start. But I would love it if the Grizzlies keep him around. Just because when when John Morant does go down, you don't have to change anything in your offense. You don't have to rework anything. You can go out there, and Tyus can operate that offense almost not quite at the level because he's not he's not and he never will be the scoring threat that John Morant is. But he can still operate that offense at a high enough level that they can win games. So I, out of everybody that's a free agent this year, you know you got Kyle. And uh, and Tyus, and then there's some like Jarrett Culver, which I, I'm not worried about him. I know that he's gone, but they're, they're freeing up some money off of the books. And you know, Zach Kleiman said moving forward that the Grizzlies are going to put themselves in a position to try and win it all. So I don't know exactly what that means, but that's exciting as a Grizzlies fan because they've got a lot of assets this offseason and they've got some contracts that they can move that are expiring. So you may see the Grizzlies make a big splash to go in, all in on somebody that they think that they need in order to get them to that next level. 
but internally I'm most excited to see what Zaire Williams does in the summer league. He already made it known that he's going to be playing in the summer league. And that's when we really saw the leap from Desmond Bain. They put him on the ball in the summer league as the, the top guard. And he was attacking, getting downhill, distributing the ball. And that confidence just carried over into the regular season. And you saw a, a guy that should have been in the conversation for most improved player. They gave it to John ja Morant. And I got to be honest, I, I don't agree with that. I don't think that he should have been included in there. He was rookie of the year. I don't think if you win rookie of the year that you should even be included in the most improved player conversation. I think that award should have went to a guy like Jordan Poole or Desmond Bain. But, you know, we, we don't get to decide that. We just get to watch the game and take what they give us. So a lot, lot of stuff to look forward to in this team. And Zach Kleiman and this front office, they have done a great job putting this team together. And they always do incredible research before they go out and make a move. So it's going to be super, super interesting to see which moves they make or which moves they don't make. Dylan Brooks was not interviewed in the uh, in the uh, final media availability of the season. And so that brought up a lot of speculation. Is Dylan Brooks going to be a guy that they're moving this offseason? Oh, who knows, man? It's I've learned to just kind of to roll with it. I, I trust the front office that they have in place right now. And whatever they decide to do, I'm going to be here to support the Grizzlies either way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm behind that for sure, you know. It's easy. It's easy for us to just see a slice of the pie and, and make this and make judgments without really knowing the full story and not being behind closed doors where the conversations are happening. Um, you know, except for a few choice franchises that just seem, you know, plagued by poor decisions. Um, you know, if they if they decide to move Dylan Brooks, it's you know you got to you got to trust that it was the right move because there's guys getting paid a lot of money to make those decisions. Um, same thing with the Warriors, right? It's like what are you doing with, with the number seven, you know, with the number seven pick, you should be trading it and bring in like a Brad Beal or something like that. There was a lot of criticism of warriors for um, taking those, those first round picks and not trying to go all in and get another all-star. And then look, here we are, you keep Andrew Wiggins and, Oh, what do you know? He turns out to be a uh, all-star starter in the Western conference. And then, Oh, Jonathan Kaminga can play and Moses Moody can play. Oh, wow. Now all of a sudden you got, you got a team and you have a team, that you're building for, you know, five years down the road. So um, sometimes you just got to trust the process. And I do think for the Grizzlies, you're on track. It's a bad you, term, you got the right. You can't, you can't, no, we can't use that. You got to find a different terminology, man. The process is Philly and that's not working out for them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'll have to circle back with you on, uh, <laughs> on what we're going to call that. That's good. You can get back to me later, man. I'm just messing with you. But I, I, I do, you know, Desmond Bain did end up getting the most improved trophy from Ja anyways, right? At least that's yeah, what yeah. I saw. Ja dropped it off at his house. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. That that just didn't make sense. I, I get in spirit that they wanted to recognize Ja for something, but that's not what the award is meant to be. So maybe we just, you know, Draymond Green had a lot of criticism about this, but maybe we need to relook at how we're giving out these awards and the criteria or relook who is being given a vote <laughs> to make these decisions <laughs> that yeah. people are deciding on um, certain players. So yeah, man, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you having, having you on the show. Uh, did you have any last minute plugs that you wanted to make before we uh, sign off? Man, I am. 
I'll give you my Twitter. I'm on Twitter at David W two one one one. Always talking ball, mostly Grizzly stuff, but I can have a civil conversation. I know that it got pretty heated in between the two fan bases on Twitter throughout the series. Um, I think a lot of that was the coaches of both teams kind of making comments that were out of bounds and led to a lot of uh, animosity between the fan bases. But you know, if you want to come follow me, have a conversation, make fun of me because I'm a Grizzlies fan. Whatever you want to do, that's where you can get me. Awesome, man. Yeah, I totally appreciate that. At the end of the day, we're all fans of the NBA. We're fans of our teams. The playoffs brings out the best in our teams and the most intensity and competitiveness. And for us fans, it's too. So sometimes we just got to take a step back and realize it's just a game and uh, there's no need to uh, threaten people or do anything yeah, obscene yeah. like that. And, uh, you know, just just go on and live your life and, and let the players take care of business on the court and let's just enjoy the game like it's meant to be. Hey guys, quickly before we go, for all of you who don't know, there is no such thing as a fantasy off season, only the pre-draft season. And here at Sports Ethos, the pre-draft season's already begun. Our experts are pumping out important lessons learned and draft analysis on this incoming rookie class. So you, yes, you the listener, can get a jump ahead in your fantasy leagues. And we're going to have incredible free agency and summer league coverage as well. But only if you're a part of the premium member team. So right now, head to sportsethos.com and click on the premium tab to grab a fantasy pass today. Seriously, just one extra lunch cooked at home per month, and it's yours at a steal of a price at $5.99. And once again, this has been a We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a Sports Ethos presentation. I'm your host, Sam Orlick. Please give me a follow on Twitter if you haven't already at SD Orlick. Subscribe, rate, and review the show because it wouldn't be anything without you, the listeners. So appreciate you guys tuning in as always. Hope you'd enjoy the show. And let's go Warriors, taking on the Dallas Mavericks tomorrow night to kick off the Western Conference Finals.